Hey, welcome to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine. I'm the host of the show and I'm the creator of all things Female Founder World. Most of you guys will know my guest today, Lo Bosworth, as the girly from the hills, Laguna Beach, but she's really spent the last seven years reinventing herself and building the most incredible supplement business called Love Wellness. I don't think you guys realize how big this is. I certainly didn't until I spoke to her, but she spent the first two years doing everything herself. So she put her savings in. She started this from home. She made the website herself, like Googled how to find manufacturers, pretty much what all of us are doing. That's how she got started. And then by 2019, the business hit eight figures in revenue and they went on to become a bestseller at Target. They're stocked in Ulta. And Lo since brought in investors, so she's now got like $25 million of investment in the company, but she did start this herself and she has a lot of lessons around getting traction in the early days and how to scale. After we recorded this session, Lo was a guest speaker at our Female Founder World Network and Chill Morning in New York City at Chill House. Honestly, that was just the best morning. It was so nice to see our New York crew. Like I love seeing you guys IRL and we have so many more events coming up across the US. We have London coming up and in one other country at the end of the year, which I'll share more about later. But the only way to find out about these are really to be on our email list. So you can sign up at femalefounderworld.com to make sure that you hear about registrations when they open. Okay, let's get into the show. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Hello, welcome to the Female Founder World podcast. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited. And we're both in New York. I know. It's great. I, I love doing them in person now. This is, you know, we we're just talking to your team before. And it's like definitely the future of podcasting and media is like being able to do this in person piece, having the video element. And also just you get way better quality content if you can have that in-person connection as well. I don't even remember before COVID, were we doing podcasts in person? I mean, <laughs> we remember. were barely doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I had a podcast with a couple of my girlfriends um, in the early days of Love Wellness, and it wasn't mm -hmm. Love Wellness related. It was called Lady Lovin', and it was with my two friends. One's a comedian, one's an entrepreneur, and I guess it was the three of us, so we always did it in person, but... It was so long ago. Yeah. No, it definitely feels new. I feel like we've been seeing the clips going really well on TikTok. And so like that whole piece of it is like encouraging more people to do it in person. Anyway, I want to talk about you and your business and not me and mine. I feel like a lot of people are going to know you from Laguna Beach and the Hills, but I am really interested in Lo, the entrepreneur, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on. But I think it's super helpful for people to understand how you initially like made that transition from being the talent side in entertainment through to owning your own wellness company? Like how does that happen? Yeah, I think it was always, it was an emotional decision to be totally honest with you. I was never that comfortable being on TV. I think certain people really thrive in entertainment and working as talent and I did not. It made me uncomfortable mm -hmm. and then sort of the blogging era began and then it was just a full downward spiral for me and I really started to feel like I don't believe that I can make a living in this industry and I can't be working paycheck to paycheck based off of the way that other people feel about me and I didn't want to be commoditized as a human being anymore based on like my performance or mm -hmm. what I could deliver or a storyline. I just was like, I don't think that this is an authentic way for me to live. And so I decided 
I would like to have a much more normal life. I want to have a normal job. I want to go to work every day. And so I ended up moving to New York in 2012, the beginning of that year. I was still focused on content creation for a couple of years, but it was much more autonomous. I was creating my own food content and eventually into wellness content, but I was doing it myself, right? It's It was like the rise of the influencer. It was the early days of influencing and it was really powerful for me and it opened my eyes and it allowed me to really reclaim, I think, myself and my confidence that I could sort of go forth and prosper, if that makes sense. And so it was really that experience of, of, of this discomfort, I think, realizing that through the opening of Pandora's box with the hills and with Laguna Beach, I did have the opportunity to really make something of it, right? I, I was incredibly privileged to have that opportunity, even though it made me uncomfortable. It gave me an audience. It gave me, I think, an evolved perspective on the world. And so with Love Wellness, I decided to use those gifts that I had been given, whether they stung me or made me feel good at, you know, at one point or another, and take it, take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. I think also let's be really clear for everyone listening. This is not like some private equity firm came in and you became the face of this brand. Like you put your own money in there and launched it and you built this thing yourself. We need to like really put that out up front because it's super impressive. (laughs) Yeah. I think nowadays there's so many founder led brands that are created in exactly the way that you said, you know, private equity with, you know, like a boys club is like, okay, this is a hot category. Yeah. Let's find a face. Let's put it in front of the company and let's run with that. And to a certain degree that is successful if that founder has an authentic, you know, connection to the product or whatever. But ultimately I think, and you see the brands that do fall flat, Mm -hmm. you know, that are quote unquote founder led because it just, if it's not real, it's not real. But yeah, I mean, I was in 2014, 2015, really struggling with depression, anxiety. I kept getting like recurrent yeast infections and UTIs. And I was in a bad place emotionally, but also physically. And I went through this very long journey to figure out what was wrong with me, where I had to be my own health advocate. And still women are having to advocate for their health left and right. It took me 18 months for a doctor to do a simple blood test and say, oh my God, you have severely deficient vitamin levels. And beyond that, these are being caused by gut health issues. These are being caused by the antibiotics that you've been taking your entire life and the antacids that you're taking. Doctors like that are so hard to find, by the way. They, they are not many. <laughs> it's not It's not even like that first doctor who gave me that blood test 18 months into this journey even suggested that. That right. was a learned experience over time that came from starting Love Wellness, talking to experts, understanding the downfalls of ingredients in the personal care category, which is not talked about at all. But when it comes to personal care, I just felt like these have to be common problems. Nobody is talking about this. But if I can use my platform to communicate my experience, it will help to destigmatize it. And if you can wrap education around something that's uncomfortable and package it in a beautiful way, 
typically you can move the needle. And that's what happened originally with Love Wellness, which yes, I launched out of my living room with my own capital and just cold calling contract manufacturers and doctors be like, I have this idea, can you help me? And yeah, I did it alone for the first two years. Everything from like answering the CX emails to, you know, trying to figure out Amazon, which didn't work well the first couple of years, but now it's a different story. <laughs> I want to I want to hear all about that scrappy beginning and, and how you got traction when it's just you and you're figuring everything out yourself. But first of all, I'm really curious. You're someone who's super visible and mm-hmm. you are putting your own money into it. And so I feel like there's an there's that extra layer of risk. If you fail, it's going to be a, a public failure. And I think that everyone who's building a business has this internal thing of like my friends and family will know and that's mortifying in itself and it stops people from putting themselves out there but you've just like added this whole extra layer to it what made you feel like okay this is this is the thing because I'm sure you could have started a lot of different businesses but what gave you the confidence to kind of move forward with it did you do any kind of market research was it based on that like intuitive your own experience what made you think no I'm going to put myself out there this this is it What I would say is that in my experience, when I have been responsible for myself or for a project, I very rarely fail. And so it was really intuitive from the beginning. And I knew that I would have to suck it up for the first couple of years. And my, I think my friends and family were kind of horrified that I was going into the vaginal care category and talking about this. And I know that there was a lot of like chatter and laughter behind my there back There was some snarky years. commentary around that. For sure, of yeah. course. And now eight years in, the story has changed completely. And, you know, people that made fun of me to my face now at parties are like, this is the most amazing founder who's that. like created this consumer category. No. I'm like... <laughs> Get, get away from yeah, me. <laughs> no, no, we're not about that. Okay, so talk to me about how you actually got that traction in the beginning. You're figuring all of this out yourself. What were some of the places that you were going to learn to kind of like upskill as that really scrappy bootstrap founder? Mm-hmm. And what were some of the tools that kind of helped you get things off the ground? So thankfully, social media was exploding mm. when I was first starting the business and influencing on social media was also very novel at the time. And so it's a very different landscape now right now it can cost so much money to acquire a customer through UGC even though UGC is some of the best performing content for customer acquisition it's still really expensive but in 2016 it was free (laughs) and it worked incredibly well so the first couple of years I didn't have to spend any money to acquire my first you know tens of thousands of customers and the thing about love wellness is that we make personal care in a way that is different from every other company. Our products are made with clean ingredients and body positive messaging. And in the category, you see brands that have body positive messaging now, but their products are still toxic. Consumers don't know their products are toxic Mm. because they don't know enough about ingredients in the category or sort of like the clean wellness story in personal care. But then the third category is negative messaging and bad ingredients. (laughs) So we're really differentiated in that way. We, from day one, never made our products with problematic ingredients. And so they worked 
just way better out of the gate. And so immediately I was able to build community and do that through reviews and through our community platform called The Love Club, where women were like coming online and talking to each other about these things that they were dealing with. And if you lead, if you read our customer reviews, like that really is the foundation of this business and how we grew the business from the beginning. And now I think, I think we have over 60,000 reviews on the website, which is insane. We've sold over a million bottles of Good Girl Probiotics, which is insane, you know? And that probiotic was a groundbreaking innovation, first to market type of product. And if you develop something like that and it really works, if you put the right team around it, you have a business. And so that was sort of the second part was realizing that I did have an opportunity on my hands and that I couldn't do it alone, right? This is the first time I have ever operated a business like this. I don't have the playbook. So a lot of it is just coming from gut intuition, what I think is the right decision, but also like being humble enough to realize that I don't know what I don't know. So I better get somebody who's great at digital marketing Mm -hmm. on board. I better get somebody who's great at customer service on board. I better get somebody who's great at like logistics and ops on board because it just, it got too big for only me. And now we're about 40 people and it's like still too big for us. Do you know what I mean? We're still like, oh my God, we need more help. I want to ask you about like team building and and how you went about that in a minute. But I want to keep talking about this like influencer piece because I think it's really interesting Mm -hmm. because like you said, it's totally different. Like this whole landscape has shifted. Yes. What worked (laughs) when you launched like is not necessarily as easy to do now or not as like inexpensive to do now, Mm -hmm. but it's still it's still kind of the playbook to like launch if you're bootstrapped to launch with content, to do the influencer gifting thing, to have a story. Yeah. If you were launching something now, like how would you be approaching that content and influencer piece? Would you be on TikTok? Like I know you were pretty not visible as the face of the brand in the early days. Would you switch that now, do you think? Yeah, you know, that is a decision that we made about a year ago to actually start shifting that. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the way that you acquire customers now, it is so UGC focused that me telling my story is really successful and a big part of not only how we acquire new customers, but retain customers now, because I think our customers, they know me you know, and eight years in, they know that the brand is trustworthy. They know that we make clean, safe products. And so being able to have that sort of constant feedback loop is really important. I would say that, yes, social media is the best way to launch a brand these days, but there's such a specific like recipe that you have to go to market with. What is the recipe? Tell me the recipe. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's like the recipe is it can be both good and bad. Mm. (laughs) It depends what you're selling. And I think the number one thing is, is there shock value in your content? Mm. Not necessarily in the product, but is there shock value in your content? Because we know that our attention spans are so short at this point. You know what you have to say and do in the first two to three seconds to hook somebody or what you have to show them to get them to even stay for an insignificant amount of time, right? And so you have to have a product that is so differentiated or a story that is so wild and so out there or marketing comms that 
is so wildly inappropriate because I think we've gotten used to that, like in the political and media landscape. Yeah. That like marketing has to sort of match what you see and consume around you every single day. Like beautiful lifestyle ads simply don't work anymore. And I mean, we see brands going so far as to almost like rely on sort of like fetish like type of what's what's the right word that I'm looking for like fetish categories to sell products like there's this one ad that I saw the other day that was like my boyfriend broke up with me for my stepmom because I didn't like because I needed to lose 10 it's like pounds. we're all a mini soap opera now like. exactly it's like <laughs> what like yeah things have gotten so far debt like one side that like to be competitive you have to be loud you have to be willing mm. to go there and so you know as a brand that really focuses on brand positivity I think we're sort of at a crossroads right yeah. now of like what do we do what do we do to continue to tell our story when there are a lot of brands out there that are sort of like the new in my opinion villains in personal care yeah and they're doing it really really well and it's like very disappointing yeah <laughs> it's really interesting because it is you know, it's like why Daily Mail blew up when digital content was taking off in terms of publishing. It's kind of like the snarky headline negativity, like actually does really well online. Yeah. Clickbaity, like all of that stuff performs really, really well. So how do you actually create a long-term brand in an environment like that is the challenge that I think so many people are facing right now. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really tough time for digitally native brands, yeah. not only because of the advertising marketplace and how it has shifted and continues to shift and evolve like every three months, it's totally different and you have to completely reinvent your strategy. But then you have Amazon and you also have retail mm -hmm. and most digitally native brands at this point in time, I think like intend or would like to launch into retail, but don't necessarily understand how being in retail affects your digitally native business. And the reality is you have to get comfortable with losing your dot-com customers to your retail partners and to Amazon, which ultimately like it's all okay, right? Like your business grows, a sale is a sale. But I think five years ago, people were so focused on like, I have to own that e-commerce yes. customer, but now it's so expensive to do that, that it's like, whatever, just buy it wherever you want. And so the future is, okay, how do we embrace this new world where, I mean, Amazon has been king for a while, but like where Amazon is king and you have to be comfortable with your dot-com business, maybe kind of just being a placeholder. Huh, that's really interesting. You said that when you first launched Amazon, didn't fly, didn't go super well. When did you <laughs> relaunch and like, when did it start taking off? Uh, about two years ago, it started okay. to perform really, really well. What changed? We brought on an agency. Yeah. <laughs> I, wasn't, bring in an I wasn't doing it myself. <laughs> being like, hmm, I wonder what keyword I should buy again. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It was just bringing in expertise, yeah. right? And like, that is what I always say. It's like, you have to build the team around you. You have to invest in your team. You have to invest in people that know how to do it better than you, right? If you're trying to scale a business, there's only some things that you 
should learn firsthand. Otherwise, like you waste a lot of time and money by trying to figure things out yourself. This is something I think a lot of people struggle with. They kind of want to be, they want to understand everything within the business. But as a business is is getting bigger, it's kind of like you are holding it back and slowing it down if you're not bringing in those people who are better at it than you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We had a new CEO come in six weeks ago. I've been the CEO, you know, since I found the brand. Wow, that's massive. And Maria is amazing. Maria Dempsey, she was previously the CEO of Nest Fragrances. And oh my God, what a force of nature she is. And for me, you know, in the CEO position for the past couple of years has been a challenge because I can't do product innovation and lead marketing and lead the team and manage the finances and legal, the things that I'm not that good at, frankly, and continue to have the brand like feel innovative because that's really what I'm good at ultimately. And so having her come in has been such a blessing. And I think so many CEO founders need need to learn when it's time to step aside Mm. because you do it for the good of your business, right? Like you have to understand that like you cannot do it all. And when you believe that you can, you're hurting your team, you're hurting your business, you're hurting your customer. There's this weird narrative around it. I remember when Emily from Glossier, they brought in a CEO and and she like moved into a much different role within the business. And there were a lot of like really snarky commentary about it. And I was kind of like, this is a very appropriate thing for the business to be doing. This is what companies should be doing. It's such a weird mindset that the person who started the company is the one who should also be taking it to like figures in revenue or be expanding it globally. That's not necessarily the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes from like the tech bro unicorn totally. type of story. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like all ego though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And I think that in those instances, those founders have raised so much money that they have budgets that allow them to fail yeah. and kind of like get started over and over again. Mm. But, you know, if you are a company Company that is in Series C or Series D with really fabulous institutional investors, and it's your first time operating a business, you better bet that they're bringing in yeah. a very experienced C-suite team. So, like, just prepare yourself for that if you are like that unicorn that happens to start that business and be relieved when they do, right? Ultimately, like, just I, I think that like getting to the end of the race successfully is more important than being the person that gets you to the end of the race. That's also like you know a very I mean? like self-aware. You've obviously done a lot of like thinking and work around this because I don't think a lot of founders have that same perspective. Oh, I'm so relieved I brought in an f- amazing yeah. CEO. <laughs> <laughs> My life has gotten more challenging, but also so much easier. I have so much of my brain space Mm. back to think about innovation and comms and brand, which frankly, in my opinion, has suffered the past couple of years because I've had to focus on truly operating at a much bigger scale than I was ever used to or comfortable with. So every other brand better watch out because yeah. I'm back in the driver's Amazing. seat. Amazing. Can't way. wait to see what comes next. I want to know. Like, like the crazy person who's back in charge <laughs> of the creative. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, I want to, I'll be following. I want to understand like when you were first kind of getting started, you were bootstrapping, using your own money. Like what were some of the big things that you were spending on in the beginning? 
Inventory? Yeah. I know that's like sort of an obvious thing to say, but truly inventory was some of the biggest spend out of the gate. And then it was only matched by our digital spend. We ran so lean for the first couple of years and we still run really lean. We are private equity backed now. I've raised $25 million. And so we we operate through the private equity lens, right? Profitability ultimately is our goal. It's not top level growth like at any cost. That's a ridiculous way to run a business. And so many businesses that were hot three years ago were operating in that way. You know, the cash that we have on our balance sheet right now is significant because we have operated in a conservative way. So you don't really have to spend so much money to have a strong business. You have to be comfortable with uh, growth over time that's, you know, 20% growth, 30% growth versus 150% year over year Mm -hmm. growth. You know, ultimately, who's better in the long who's better off in the long run right at what point did you start bringing in investors and what made you think that it was time to get some external cash coming into the business I think it was 2018 2019 when I decided to launch a couple of additional SKUs outside of our vaginal health products into more lifestyle like I launched bye bye bloat then and sparkle fiber which are gut health SKUs that really helped to take the business to the next level and bye bye bloat was the product that I think outside of our like really successful vaginal health SKUs, put the brand on the map in a more mainstream way Mm -hmm. because Bye Bye Bloat is a great entry product for any person versus a vaginal health suppository, right? Like not everybody has a yeast infection. Not everybody needs this amazing product that we created. But bye bye bloat. Like yeah, you have your you have your period. You ate pizza. Yeah. You want a deep bloating product. Like bye bye bloat literally has created an entirely new category within the supplement space. Um, and so that product, I think, really was the game changer for us. And we saw that to scale, we just needed more money. We needed yeah. more inventory. A small business at that at that time, I mean, any small business, like before you hit a certain size, you cannot get a debt facility. Or if you do, it's incredibly expensive. That's why companies have to raise money because they can't get debt, right? Like you're not established enough for a bank to trust you to give you a $5 million loan. It takes so much success and so many years to get to a point where JP Morgan's like, here's $5 million. We trust you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why you see like the huge startup community of people raising money because you, you really can't get debt when you are a new business. And so when you have the opportunity to scale, when things are going right, that's why you raise. And it's to be able to get your business to the next level so that you can maybe raise again or maybe finally get that debt that you so <laughs> you want so badly because you don't want to give away more of your company. But, you know, you face hard decisions at the beginning. I want to talk about retail a little bit. And you are sure. a bestseller at Target. How did that partnership come about? And yeah. then how do you go on to be a bestseller in that category <laughs> as well? It's pretty wild. So we have... I think upwards of like 20 facings at Target, which is a lot. Facings means like 20 spots on the shelf across different departments. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I think it's about that, plus or minus a couple. Target initially approached us and... But we had been on their radar. You know, Target is really good. And I think their strategy right now is to bring in a lot of like founder-led brands. We were one of the first founder-led brands that they brought in store. And we launched 
are in natural beauty. Like where the clean skincare is, we're in the tampon aisle now, but we launched where you can get clean skincare. And we launched with a lot of our vaginal health SKUs. And the idea was that we believed women are more comfortable in the natural beauty aisle. So they're more willing to stick around for longer and to discover something new there. Interesting. And our theory held water. It was absolutely true. And we have been, you know, like a top five to top 10 brand in that space ever since, because it's a place that women want to shop. It was the same theory at Ulta. We launched at Ulta before Target and we were like, is our vaginal suppository gonna move here? And immediately it was a best-selling product because I think women want these products. They don't always know where to access them or how to access them. And when you put them in places that they are comfortable shopping, you get a really, really high conversion rate. Really smart. When did the Ulta launch come about and then when did the Target launch happen? So Ulta was July 2019 and then Target was... I would say like Jan 1, 2021, from the internet, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like watching my Instagrams, yeah. just like everybody else, to be honest with you. I think we were just one of the first brands that was just doing something so unique and so different. And it's a responsibility of the buyer to keep their offering fresh and different. They took a bet on us and it was an experiment that paid off. For people who are now preparing to launch into their first kind of bigger retail partner, what advice do you have for them as they're preparing for that? Oh my gosh. Retail is very complicated and you need somebody on your team who has done retail before. There are so many opportunities, ways to work with your retail partners to support your business outside of just putting influencers in the store. And a lot of it has to do with paid spend, like mm. within their own ecosystems, within their own search. This is so interesting. I don't think people know this. I mean, I learned all this stuff just yeah. since we launched into retailers. Yeah. But, you know, there's a significant amount of spend that a retailer sort of expects you to put towards supporting your launch and supporting sell-through. You need a great broker or you need somebody on your team who has worked with a, a retailer before who understands the, the ecosystem. Amazing tip. I saw that you have a subscription offering on the website. Mm -hmm. So obviously people who are taking this product regularly, they want to have a subscription to it. That's an offering that you have. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of that happening in the last few years and like the e-com space, people are introducing that and there are, you know, pro, there are apps that you can use on Shopify to help manage all of that. When did you introduce it? Is it a big part of the business? Is it something that people should do? Yeah. Subscriptions is a major part of our lovewellness.com business. You subscribe if you believe in the product and if it works for you. And it does for most people. We see more first-time customers subscribe than just first-time customers one-time purchase. And I think it's because of wow. the reputation of the company, the reviews. You know, it's, it's a convincing proposition. And if you have a problem like one of the ones that we address, you are searching for a solution, right? And typically you understand that the problem that you may have is recurrent or chronic. And so it's not just a one-time fix type of thing. And so generally speaking, it all comes back to gut health and gut health issues are hard to solve and they require kind of like constant care. Mm. <laughs> and so subscribing to a product like a probiotic is really beneficial to your health long term. You can take a probiotic for one month and feel better. And if you stop, 
you're going to face the same issues you had if you didn't also make a bunch of other lifestyle changes. When did you start introducing that piece into the business? I think early on we had subscriptions available on the website. I, I don't quite remember, but it was Amanda who is our VP of customer service. When she started, she was my first employee. She was our first hire. And I think that was in 2018, 2019. And she was like, we need a subscription. Mm. Like people keep emailing us being like, can I get this every month? You know, and so we set it up from day one and it's a very meaningful part of our dot-com business. Amazing. Are there any tools that you recommend for doing, for managing that? We use Recharge for subscriptions. It plugs into Shopify. It's easy, but I wouldn't say that just having good subscription software is everything. You also have to have like all of your customer funnels built out really, really well, which is another important part of it. Yeah. People say things like your customer funnels and marketing funnels and flows and all of that. And I feel like it can feel like a a bit of a term that's a bit like insidery and people don't really understand what it means. Yeah. (laughs) For folks who like haven't like built out a funnel or a flow, what does that look like? What does that mean? So let's take an example as like one product. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you are interested in vaginal health. We've like identified you as somebody on the internet who's interested in vaginal health. You've searched it on Google, right? We may then show you an ad for our Good Girl Probiotic. Mm -hmm. And if you interact with that ad, let's say you go to the Love Wellness website and you give us your information, we put you into that customer funnel. We say this person is interested in Good Girl Probiotics. And ultimately, how do we have to communicate with this person over multiple touch points to turn them into a customer? And so the idea is that the bottom of your funnel is the conversion where you become a customer and the top of your funnel is like where you are prospecting when you're like first talking to somebody about something, right? Amazing. Okay. I feel like that's really helpful for folks who haven't done this before. And I want to talk about your community now. So you mentioned Love Club like right, right at the top of the show. Where does that community live? What are you doing to foster that community? I did not realize it was that big. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's actually in process. We're building it to be a different experience on the website right now, very cool. which is very exciting. I have always imagined like chat rooms and Reddit yes. and stuff like that. And so that is sort of like the technology that we're building to live on our own website website. And when you think about that long-term strategy about like, how does your brand.com not compete against Amazon, but survive against Mm -hmm. your own Amazon business? It's because like you have to create something that is native to your brand.com identity. So you think that having the community housed within your website is a big piece of it. So you wouldn't do it on like a Facebook or we use Geneva for our community at the moment. And it's been great. I think you could. I think If you build a community, those are your super users no matter what. And so they're probably buying on your .com because they're getting the best subscriptions offers there. They're getting perks. They're getting rewards. And so it's about building out like that complete picture, right? You were really early onto this community piece. This is something that brands are starting to do in the last two years is think, oh, I want a community. And maybe our Instagram (laughs) followers aren't a community. They're an audience. Yeah. Well, how did you get started with that? Bring people in? Did you have programming? Like people who want to start this now, what should they be doing? So, you know, we've always used like a third party software. I wouldn't 
mention any by name because I don't know if there's like any great ones right now because yeah. <laughs> we're trying to sort of like build something. No, it, it's actually but, like not great when you think yeah, about how many people are trying to do this. It's tough. Yeah. Mm. Like nobody has really cracked the code Mm-mm. on community yet. We were just using kind of like forum style conversations, you know, polls, etc. But it was challenging because we had all of our medical experts also functioning within the community and we realized maybe that like expert content needs to be blog posts so yeah. that it supports SEO better. And so ultimately it was a challenging user experience, but I felt like community was always valid because in the women's healthcare space, I always felt like I was typing in questions into Google and not getting anything back. Mm. And so the idea for community was, can we create a platform where we are actually answering those questions? Because a lot of information when it comes to women's health and wellness is based on new research or it's anecdotal because the research hasn't been done because there's not enough funding being put towards these kinds of things. And so like, where do you go to get answers? And you can get answers from, you know, a trusted, safe community. I love that. Have you heard of the platform DM, D-I-E-M? So they just came out of beta and they just launched the app and it's basically what you're talking about, but more broadly, it's not just health and wellness. It's kind of everything that women are like searching on the internet. And they have basically sourced all of this data from what women have been speaking about online. And then also plugged in like an AI component. And it's basically rethinking search (laughs) for like actually what women are asking and talking about. I thought it was so interesting because right now when you think about search and AI, like everything that you just spoke about has been like totally left out of that. Remember a couple, maybe it was a few months ago when like those articles about B- the Bing AI came out yeah. and everyone was freaking yeah. out. <laughs> Our digital team was like, oh my God, do we need it to invest in on Bing now? <laughs> ultimately, I don't know how it's going to play out, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's like the Wild West out there. I'm just watching it like, should I be scared? I don't know what's going on I here. I use ChatGPT. It's been very helpful. I mean, ChatGPT is fun. And also I feel like some of the ones, the image generation apps are like really fun. Yeah. Anyway, that's totally off topic. But the last thing that I really wanted to ask you is for a resource. You have built something so incredible. And I feel like the people listening to the show are like, how do you get from where you were to where you are now? What are some of those resources that have helped you, whether it is literally like up-leveling in that tactical like CEO skill set or just helping you kind of grow as a leader of this business? I would say that having mentors that you communicate with regularly Mm. is really important. How do you find those people? You have to be brave and get Mm. involved in the community of founders wherever it is that you live. You need to go to dinners. You need to get on these lists. That is not hard to do, right? As long as you like put a little initiative out there and ask questions. There's so much information available on the internet now that like if you can't find a group to join, then like come on guys <laughs> yeah that's heaps. come join us we've, we've, we're a great crew and there's, yeah. lots of, there's lots of group coaching calls yeah. that people can join but I would say even like beyond that the type of mentor is important I mm. wouldn't pick somebody who is necessarily like your peer you always want to try to level up I speak really regularly with my investors and I think a lot of founders like think their investors are annoying and like shy away from them and they're yeah. like oh I only have to like deal with these people at the board meeting I use my investors like they are part of my team. Great tip. 
And I would highly recommend that because they have access to so much data across their portfolio companies. They're seeing trends happen faster than you are. Mm -hmm. And if you need help with a problem, those are the people who are incentivized to help you. So if you have investors, turn turn them into your mentors. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. Lo, where can people find you? Where can they find Love Wellness? Love Wellness on lovewellness.com, obviously, or Amazon, mm-hmm. or Target, yeah, or wherever. Ulta. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at Love Wellness on TikTok, on Instagram, and I'm at Lowe Bosworth on all of those places. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving the show and you are building a consumer CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.